All right, so uh, what we're going to try and do tonight, something a little bit uh, different, as we combine uh, my shear and shul, my regular Thursday night shear in shul, which is a schedule for this time, together with this, uh, you know, Kesher Nafshi type of, uh, type of uh, question, where we get to see, you know, as we try and do, uh, interesting halachas, ones which are, uh, you know, not the, uh, the run-of-the-mill type of uh, conversation and whatnot, but something which is very practical, but not necessarily something that, which is commonly discussed in order to figure out how exactly we're going to navigate sometimes uh, difficult halachic situations. Okay, so the question that we're going to be dealing with over here is something which, uh, which was discussed on, uh, on a, a WhatsApp chat, uh, which is related to um, many people have, uh, have children, uh, sadly, that are not uh, Shomer Shabbos. And those people, so the Baruch Hashem, even though they're not Shomer Shabbos, they still feel comfortable living at home. And we encourage them to stay at home and all of those good things which they get about being at home. But it does create, at times, various halachic challenges. And one of the halachic challenges, which, uh, you know, which is, uh, seems to be pretty uh, prevalent, is, a, is when kids who are not Shomer Shabbos in home decide that they want to go ahead and they're going to go make themselves breakfast or lunch or they're going to cook on Shabbos. So we're not even talking about the question about whether or not you're allowed to eat the food which they cook. We're not talking about the question of if they do a malacha in the home, is our other people in the home allowed to go ahead and benefit from that malacha? That, depending on how things go tonight, I guess, we may have another sheer uh, about that, another... Uh, another uh, discussion about that. But tonight we're going to focus our attention on a very specific uh, aspect of it, one which obviously has pretty serious ramifications, and that has to do with what's going to be the story with the pots and the pans which were used, being that they're cooking in our home and assuming that they're using our ingredients. So there's no shyla here as far as kashras is concerned. We're not worried that they trafed anything up, but there is a concern in terms of what does that do? Are we allowed to eat the food? And then more importantly, are we going to have to go ahead and kasher the kalim? Are we going to have to kasher those pots and pans which were used for cooking on Shabbos? Now, those who are not familiar yet with the, that idea, so that may seem a little bit surprising. So therefore, let's go ahead and let's start. Uh, we try and do most of the sources inside at this, uh, this year. So hopefully this uh, should appear on your screen, the, uh, the source sheet which, uh, which we have, and that way we get to all um, learn together. And in case uh, you know, I make a mistake, so definitely uh, don't be shy to go ahead and call me out on the, uh, on the mistake, because as we just had in Dafyomi, the only way to arrive at the correct halakha conclusion is to make a mistake first. So I may go ahead and do that. So, okay. So what we begin with is a, uh, a Mishnah. It's a Mishnah which uh, the place where it's commonly quoted is in Chulin, although the Mishnah is elsewhere. But we read the Mishnah, this, the, the, the passages which are in parentheses in Rashi's script. So that represents, that's Rashi's comment to the Gemara. So we'll try and read Rashi's comment together with the, the Gemara. But the question is, somebody cooks on Shabbos. So, Bishogeg Yochal. So the first opinion is we're going to see Reb Meir. So he says, if the cooking was done inadvertently, the person didn't realize that he was cooking or he woke up after a good Shabbos nap and just was completely disoriented and didn't realize that it was a Shabbos after a long, uh, tiring week. So the food is allowed to be consumed. Rashi says the person who did the cooking is able to eat that food even on Shabbos itself. 
So no restriction whatsoever. You didn't mean to cook. So since you didn't mean to cook, it was done inadvertently, you're allowed to eat it. But Rameir says, in the event that the person knew that it was Shabbos and knows that cooking is Asar on Shabbos and he did it anyways, then you're not allowed to eat it. You're not allowed to eat it until after Shabbos and you have to give it the amount of time it takes to cook the food. So let's say the person made chicken, which needs to sit in the oven for an hour. So you can't eat this chicken, which was cooked on Shabbos intentionally immediately after Shabbos. You have to wait an hour after Shabbos, the amount of time it would take to cook the food after Shabbos, before you're allowed to go ahead and eat it. Divrei Reb Meir. So this represents the opinion of Reb Meir. Reb Meir is the most lenient of the opinions. The, 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 the Rashi script is Rashi? The Rashi script is Rashi, yeah. Rebuta says, Bishogeg, that in the event the food was cooked inadvertently, didn't realize it was Shabbos, didn't realize that you were cooking, then as opposed to Reb Meir who says you're allowed to eat it right away, Reb Yehuda says, Shabbos. You could eat it on Motsoi Shabbos, Veloba Shabbos, but you're not allowed to eat it on Shabbos because we don't want you to benefit from the fact, even though it was inadvertent, we don't want you to go ahead and benefit from the fact that a malacha was done, that you did do cooking on Shabbos. Vuadin Lachrini. And according to Rabbi Yehuda, not only are you not allowed to eat it on Shabbos, even others are not allowed to eat it on Shabbos. Nobody's allowed to eat it on Shabbos. Even though, since it was done inadvertently, so it doesn't violate the Daraisa, it's not something which is punishable with skila, which very common, which very often would be the punishment for an intentional violation of Shabbos. So we're not talking about a violation which is so severe. But nonetheless, Avera Mia Ika. It still is an Avera. And since it still is an Avera, so therefore we don't want anybody to eat it on Shabbos. But after Shabbos, it could be eaten by anybody, the cooker and the ones for whom, uh, and, and uh, anybody else. The Mezid lo yochal alamis. Rehuda says it was cooked intentionally, then you're not allowed to eat it ever. It's permanently also. <coughs> also as if it's not kosher. Bididei. Rashi explains that when we say that it's also forever, it's also forever only for the person who did the cooking intentionally. So we penalize this person who cooked intentionally on Shabbos, and we say that you are never allowed to eat that food. But other people would be allowed to eat the food. They didn't do the Avera, so they're allowed to eat the food. Because this penalty that Chazal imposed is only imposed on those people, on the person who did the Avera, who did the cooking. So he's penalized. Those people who did not do the cooking, they're not penalized. Then, opinion number three, and you'll see later on why we have to see all three opinions. Rabbi Yochanan Asandler Omer, Rabbi Yochanan Asandler says, Bishogeg yochal lemotzai Shabbos la'acheirim velolo. That in the event that the food was cooked inadvertently, forgot it was Shabbos, didn't realize that what you're doing is cooking. So two chumras that the Rabbi, Huda, uh, ha, Rabbi Yochanan Asandler has. Chumra number one is, nobody's allowed to eat it on Shabbos. Even though it was done bishogi, even though it was done inadvertently, nobody's allowed to eat it on Shabbos. And then when it comes to Motsoi Shabbos, only others are going to be allowed to eat it, not the person who did the cooking. Because Rashi explains, because the person who did the cooking, even though it was inadvertent, so we don't want him to go ahead and start getting in the habit of inadvertent cooking, winking and nod and all of that. So therefore, we're going to penalize him where he can't get any benefit from this ever. But Achrini Dilov, the Yisura, Lokansu. But others who did not do this iser, so we don't want them to benefit from a malacha which was done on Shabbos. But when Shabbos is over, so then we don't mind if they benefit from that malacha which was done because they didn't do the malacha anyways. 
But they do have to wait that additional hour in the example we said before, after Shabbos, because at the end of the day, we don't want anybody to benefit from a malacha on Shabbos, from a malacha which was done on, which was done on Shabbos. So therefore, we're going to push it off and say, wait the amount of time it takes to cook this food before you go ahead and eat it. B'meizit, according to Rabbi Yochanan Asandar, if the person intentionally cooked, lo yochal olamis, lo lo v'lochir. So nobody's allowed to eat it ever. Not the person who did the cooking, nor anybody else. And Rashi explains, lavishum kinasahu, according to Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri, when it was cooked intentionally, it's not a rabbinic penalty, which we, which, which uh, prohibits anybody from eating the food. Because the other people didn't do an iser. Only the cooker went ahead, the cook did the iser, but nobody else did. But the reason why it's aser is Ella Mikra But there are a number of different drushas which the Torah, which, which stem from the Torah, which indicate that it's going to be aser. So here are these three opinions that, that exist as far as what's going to be the story in the event that somebody cooks on Shabbos bishogeg or bemezid, inadvertently or intentionally, and then what the consequences of that is, uh, is, are going to be. So skipping many of the Rishonim along the way, but we know that as experienced uh, halacha uh, uh, students, so we know that once there's going to be a major disagreement in a Mishnah or a Gemara, about how the halacha is going to uh, how halacha is going to be lemaisa on a practical level. So the first address that we then turn to is Shulchan Aruch. So let's find out how Shulchan Aruch goes ahead and decides this matter. So Shulchan Aruch says, Somebody cooks on Shabbos, and then we add in a very important point because this this discussion is not unique to cooking. The Shulchan Aruch says, "O sha'asa achas mishar malachos," or if somebody does any malach on Shabbos. So we're talking about uh, we're talking very generally, in in some regards, that somebody did a malacha on Shabbos, and now the question is, are you allowed to get benefit? Somebody turned on the light, somebody turned on the air conditioning, somebody turned on the stovetop, somebody did whatever they happened to do, somebody carried whatever they happened to do, somebody does a malach on Shabbos. So bemazed. So if it was done intentionally, asulola olam. So for the violator, the one who did the malacha, they can never benefit from it because we don't want you to get any benefit whatsoever. This is found in the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. And for other people, it's going to be aser. It's going to be permitted for them to go ahead and have benefit from it right away. Immediately after Shabbos, it's okay. And in the event that the cooking was done inadvertently, so on Shabbos itself, you're not allowed to benefit. Even others may not benefit from it. And then at nighttime, once Shabbos is over, it's going to be permitted not only for others, but even for the one who did the malacha. So and just not, on a very, uh, a very simple uh, explanation, what we're talking about over here is Shulchan Aruch is passing like Rebbe Yehuda. We're there's no, no Bechtei Yasu. What? There's no Bechtei Yasu here. They can... So I, I, I'm avoiding that because that's not our discussion now, as, as you'll see. Okay, so this is, this is, the, way we, this is the way we go. Now, the, the excitement of this discussion begins with the Tshuva Sarashba. So the Rashba was asked, and that's what you have over here, the Rashba was asked about whether or not if food was cooked on Shabbos for a chola shiyesh bo sakana, somebody who is ill, dangerously so, 
So whether or not there's going to be any restriction, is there going to be a restriction against using those pots and pans? Do they become usr or not? Because generally we have this notion in our mind, this is why the person posed the question to the Rashba, that whenever you cook a food that you're not allowed to eat, so generally that trait using just common nature, the common nomenclature, that traced up the utensils. So somebody cooked on Shabbos, you're not allowed to eat that food on Shabbos. So maybe that goes that it makes the pots and pans also because you weren't supposed to cook, you can't eat the food. So maybe the food makes the tray. But it was framed, it was presented to the Rashba in this specific context of somebody who cooked for a chola, somebody who was ill. So says the Rashba, this is now in his response. He says, Vidavka bishogeg b'iser. So when are there going to be any sort of restriction? Only when it was cooked bishogeg, it was cooked inadvertently, when in a circumstance in which you were not supposed to cook in the first place. There was no heter to cook. But, says the Rashba, but if you have somebody who is ill, and dangerously so, and they don't have any other food, so not only is it mutter, but it's a mitzvah to go ahead and cook for that person, because if they're ill and they need to eat, so then you got to go ahead and give them food. You got to provide them with that food. And being that you are cooking for somebody who's ill, who needed to eat because they need the energy, so then you didn't do something which is usr on Shabbos, although you cooked on Shabbos, and cooking is normally usr. In this specific instance, it's something which is 100% permitted, and it's a mitzvah to do. You're supposed to go ahead and do that cooking. And therefore, and even Rabbi Yochanan Asanda, who's the more stringent opinion, as we saw, even his stringent opinion is El Abamaisa Shabbos Be'eser is only in the event that you cook on Shabbos in violation of halacha. But Rabbi Yochanan Sandler would agree that if you cooked on Shabbos because it was a mitzvah to cook on Shabbos, he would certainly agree that the food is permitted and the pots and pans are permitted. The kolshik and the Rabbi Yehuda, the kolshik and the Rebbeir. And once we know that Rabbi Yochanan Sandler, who's the most stringent opinion, he's the one who he would agree that it's going to be permitted. The pots and pans and the food are permitted in that case. So certainly the more lenient opinions of Reb Yehuda and Reb Meir, they would certainly be on board to say that you're allowed to go ahead and use the food even after Shabbos and you're allowed to, uh, there's going to be no restriction as far as the pots and pans are concerned. Okay, so this is the opinion. This is the statement. This is the tshuva, which was written by the Rashba. Now, comes along the Magen Avram, Magen Avram, one of the primary commentators on Shulchan Aruch in Arachayim. And he says, this is in Sifkat Nalif over there. So he says that Mashma Berashba, Simen Kufayin Hei. So the implication of the Rashba is the Rashba said the reason why the pots and pans are not Aser is because you're allowed to cook for the Chol HaShiyesh Being that you're allowed to, and it's a mitzvah to cook for that person who's ill, so the Rashba said, of course, the pots and pans are not going to be asa. So the, the Magen Avram takes out his thumb and he says, the only reason the Rashba said that you're allowed to use the pots and pans after Shabbos, even though you cooked on Shabbos, is because you had a mitzvah to cook on Shabbos. Ah, if you didn't have a mitzvah to cook on Shabbos, you cooked on Shabbos in violation of halacha, says the Magen Avram, So the Magen Avram says, I think that the pot, the pots and pans are going to be asa as well. You cook I, the I food. You cook the food see. which you're. Hold on. You cook the food which you're not allowed to eat. If you cook the food which you're not allowed to eat, that prohibited food now gets absorbed into the pots and the pans, and therefore you should have to go ahead and kosher in that case. 
I, yes, I, I don't see anything in the words of the Rashba that indicate that he's talking about anything other than the food itself. Where, where do you get from those words that he's talking about pots and pans? Uh, if I if I quoted for you the whole tshuva, so you'd see that that was the question that was posed to the Rashba. I have, I have to I have to uh, uh, limit how much I'm going to quote. I see. Okay. So, but if, if you if you remind me later, I'll send you the full text of the Rashba. Okay. So this is this is what the Magen Avram comes along and he says, and he is the one who states explicitly. He's like the first one who comes along and states explicitly that if cooking was done on Shabbos bi'isr in violation of halacha, that the pots and pans would then have to be kosher. Comes along the Torah Shabbos. Torah Shabbos is an early achron, not as early, obviously, as the Magen Avram, but, uh, you know, uh, sometime afterwards, but not the contemporary. And he says, and you'll see, by the way, he, he writes, and the way, uh, the, the strength of what he says, that he must have uh, felt uh, somewhat in the same league as the Magen Avram. And he says, Ulfianis daiti shagag Magen Avram bazeh, he says, in my opinion, my humble opinion, he says, the Magen Avram made a, made a big error, a big mistake. To assert that the Rashba would say that if somebody cooked on Shabbos in violation of halacha, that you have to kasha the pots. Because by making this assertion, he is implying that the Rashba forgot, the Rashba, one of the great Rishon, the greatest Rishonim, that he forgot an explicit Gemara in Gitin Davchav Gimel, which says, the Maisa Shabbos, Einam Asum Reb Rak Mishum Knasa. That, Yudah, that the, the Gemara there says that when somebody does a Malacha on Shabbos in violation of Halacha, so even according to Rabbi Yehuda, which is the opinion that Shulchan Aruch follows, so the only thing that's going to be Aser, the, the, the Iser, which is created by violating Shabbos, is an Iser, which is called a penalty, as a Knas. Okay, now that we know that, the, that we penalize the person, it's a rabbinic uh, a penalty that we impose on the person for having violated Shabbos. So what do we know from elsewhere in Shas about a Knas, about such a penalty? So we know from the Gemara in Pesachim that when something is prohibited by Chazal because of a penalty, because of a kenas, we only answer the food where you could actually see it, the piece of food that's visible, that would be subject to the kenas. But if somehow that food, which is Aser, got intermingled, got blended into another food, we don't answer the mixture. It's only the food as is, which is going to be aser, not the food which is in a mixture. And then says the Torah Shabbos, mikol shekein, shein bliyas ha And then by extension, it's very logical, says the, uh, says the, uh, the Torah Shabbos, that there's no way that the absorbed taste in the pot should be aser. That's taking it way too far of an extreme. The only thing which they answer when they make a knas or they impose such a penalty is just the food itself. So the food itself may be aser. But to say that the absorbed taste of the food into the pot is going to be usher as well, and now you have to kasha the pot, the Torah Shabbat says there's no way that the Rashba intended, that that was part of his intention, what the Magen Avram is trying to extrapolate from the Rashba. So the Torah Shabbat says, no way, no how. And now he says, Because the, the diuk, the inference that the, the Magen Avram made from the wording of the Rashba, he says, he says, don't get so excited about what the Rashba wrote, because the Rashba wrote it just to, um, to uh, illustrate the extent of this halacha. 
even according to Rabbi Yochanan Nuri or Yochanan Asandler, that the, where he says, even according to the most stringent opinion, the Rashba says the pot is not going to be uh, usher in the event that you cooked on Shabbos. But Aval Alibid Rabbi Yehuda, and he, he mentioned the thing about the pot only from the perspective of Rabbi Yochanan Ben Nuri, who's the most stringent opinion. So he says, even the most stringent opinion would never have answered this in the first place anyways, but that's really irrelevant, says the Torah Shabbos, because according to Rabbi Yehuda, which is the way we, Shulchan Aruch paskins, here he goes, again, he throws out this uh, strong language. He says, it never would have entered the, the Rashba's mind at all, such a foreign idea that according to Rabbi Yehuda, we would say that the pots are aser. No way, no how. Shaharei built these oaths, and on top of which, he says, it cannot be, because besides this, Harbe Poskin, Paskalinian, Bishel, Shabbos, Reb Meir, anyways, many opinions follow the most lenient opinion of Reb Meir. And although Shochan may follow the, the middle opinion of Reb Yehuda, but asserts the Torah Shabbos, there's no way that the Rashba actually had in mind to say that according to Reb Yehuda, that the pots would be Aser, and therefore he is rejecting the inference of the Magen Avram. So now we have an interesting thing. We have a machlokas between, on the, on the one hand, the Magen Avram extrapolates from the Rashba that food which was cooked on Shabbos, those pots, in violation of halacha, those pots need kashering. And then you have, on the other side, you have the Torah Shabbos who says, I disagree. I don't think that that's the correct conclusion that you should draw from the Magen Avram. And I hold that there's no way that those pots are going to be usher. Okay, so this is not the first time, in the, believe it or not, this is not the first time in the history of Klai so that there's a machlokas. So in something like this, certainly in the area of Orachayim, so we, we don't have to be intimidated at all by the fact that there's a machlokas, because we always have the Mishabura. So if we have the Mishabura, we can turn to the Mishabura and say, okay, let's see how the Mishabura holds about this matter. Does the Mishabura say, we do have to kasha the pots, we don't. So this is the Mishabura in Simen Shun Yerches, Tivkat and Dalid. So he writes, Kasav HaMagin Avram B'Shem HaRashba. So you see right off the bat where he's going. He quotes a Magin Avram, extrapolating from the Rashba, the Gama Kedera Shabbos, that even the pot which was used for cooking on Shabbos in violation of Halacha, you're not allowed to use that pot for cooking anymore. It's now considered to be a treif pot. And he says explicitly, because it absorbed prohibited taste. Since you're not allowed to eat the food, so that food is now considered to be a prohibited taste. That taste gets absorbed into the pot, and therefore it's also. Now he qualifies, he says, this, however, is true only regarding the pots which were used to cook on Shabbos for a healthy person. So if it was, you were cooking on Shabbos for a healthy person, which is in direct violation of halacha, so that's where you're going to run into this problem. But if you cook for somebody who is ill, so then even the Mishabura, the Magen Avram agrees that it's going to be permitted. But here we find out that the Mishabura adopts the stringent opinion upon, uh, about this. In this, this now where we're holding as we go from page one of the sources to page two, right now it seems that in the event that somebody went ahead and cooked on Shabbos, and we're, we're not even going to address right now, because I know many of you have that in mind, whether or not we consider these kids which we call kips, to be somebody who's doing it b'mezid or b'shogeg. I know that many of you are thinking about that. I'm not even addressing that uh, right now. Let's assume in the worst case scenario that the person is actually cooking b'mezid on Shabbos. So there was a, a disagreement whether the pots are usher or not. And the Mishnah follows the opinion that says, yes, these pots are going to be usher. 
Okay. So that is, that was the first analysis of that. Now comes along the, uh, the, uh, the Shulchan So Shulchan Acharav, so although most times Shulchan Acharav follows the, uh, the Magen Avram, he's going to subscribe to the view of the Magen Avram, but he will often add a Kenech here or a Kenech there, or he'll use terminology which adds additional parish, additional explanation to what's going on. And very often that can be incredibly instructive as far as the Halach Lamaisa is concerned. So here, now we're going to find something which is, uh, which is incredibly important, an essential diuk, an essential uh, uh, pre- presentation of the Shulchan Acharav as far as this Halach is concerned. Because remember, as we said, he's going to follow the Magan Avram, but he's going to add something new, which we didn't think about. Or I hadn't thought about it until I saw the, the Shulchan Acharav. So Shulchan Acharav says, this is also at the beginning of Simen Shin Yudches, Hamavasho B'Shabbos. If somebody goes in and cooks on Shabbos, or if somebody does any other malacha on Shabbos, so if the malacha was done for our purposes, the cooking was done intentionally, so you, the cook, the one, who, not you, but the one who went ahead and cooked on Shabbos, with, with the intent, knowing fully well that it's Shabbos, in this, also to cook on Shabbos, and he did it anyways, that cook is not allowed to get benefit from that malacha at all, ever. Not on Shabbos, not after Shabbos, not on Tuesday, not next Shabbos. You can't even have it for Wednesday leftovers. You cannot eat that food at all. But why? Mishum, the reason is, Mishum Knas. Because as he said, this is going to be a penalty. According to the way we pasca like Rabbi Yehuda, so this is a penalty of Chazal that we don't want you to go ahead and benefit from the fact that an iser was done on Shabbos. So for the cook, this food is aser, is aser forever. Then the Shulchan Acharav adds, v'gam ha-kidera shebishoba asur olam. And then he says, the pot which was used for cooking is also going to be aser forever. Forever meaning until you go ahead and kasher it. But it's just like any other treif pot that you're not allowed to, even if you wait 24 hours since you last use it. So then it's not ben yomo anymore. It's still going to be aser. So he says the pot also is going to be aser. Why? For the same reason that the Mishabura, the same explanation that the Mishabura gave, which is, because that pot absorbed a taste which is prohibited. The taste which is prohibited is the fact that the cooking took place on Shabbos, which you're not allowed to do. Now here comes the line that we go, that the, uh, the Shulchan HaKarav adds, which we did not see in the Mishabura, and we could have a whole interesting discussion about why the Mishabura may have left, left this line of the Shulchan HaKarav out. But nonetheless, the Shulchan HaKarav then says, Now pay attention to what he writes. He says, for other people, not to cook, but for other people, it's mutter, even the food. So when he says it's mutter, even the food, so that means he's talking about two steps over here. The pot obviously is mutter, and even the food is going to be mutter for others. The, 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 the food which is actually transformed, where the itzah was actually done to the food, even that is going to be permitted for others after Shabbos. So what does that mean? What's the status of the pot vis-a-vis others? So it's clear from the Shulchan HaKarav that, you, that for others, the pot doesn't become aser. And here we have this fascinating circumstance, and I guess you can have such a thing occur when we're dealing with a rabbinic penalty, when we're dealing with a knas, but we have this fascinating idea that the Shulchan Aruch is presenting to us, which is the fact that 
Ruven went ahead and cooked on Shabbos b'mezid. So as far as Ruven is concerned, he can never use that pot. Until he kashers it, he can never use that pot again. But his neighbor says, listen, I'm, I'm cooking for a Sheva Brachas, I'm cooking for a Bar Mitzvah, I'm cooking because we're having a, a, a family reunion and I need extra pots. Can I borrow your pot? So the neighbor could go ahead and use that without kashering at all. For Ruvain, it has to be kashered. For everybody else in the world, we're just going to say for simplicity, that pot is permitted because the knas, similar to what the Torah Shabbos had said, because when Chazal imposed a knas, and it's interesting, we actually were discussing this on today's daf, for those who are doing daf yomi, but the knas which Chazal imposed is only on the violator. It's not on those people who didn't violate the Yisr. So Shulchan Acharav says that this pot, the requirement that we have to kasher the pot, the stringent view of the Magen Avram, is only the person who did the cooking. But for everybody else, that pot is going to be okay. And for whatever reason, again, art for, for a different discussion, you don't even have to wait after Shabbos, the amount of time it takes to cook, it'll be permitted right away. So here, suddenly we have this, this major breakthrough in terms of this halacha, what happens when somebody in the home goes out and cooks on Shabbos? And even in the worst case scenario, where they cooked on Shabbos in complete violation of halacha, and the question was, is it going to be necessary to kasha the pots? Because the Mishabura says it is necessary. The Mishabura adopts a stringent position that you do have to kasha, that the, the pot does become not kosher. But the Shulchan Archarav says it's only not kosher for the cook. But for everybody else in the family and everybody else in the world, that pot is a regular kasher fleshed pot or kasher milchid pot, whatever it is, and its status has not changed at all. So that is one approach whereby we see that in the event that uh, one, of the, uh, one of our kips went ahead and cooked on Shabbos, provided that we know 100% that it, was, uh, that it was all kosher ingredients and all that, so there's no concern about needing to kasher those pots after Shabbos. Okay, now there's another fascinating uh, um, perspective on this, uh, this issue, on this issue of somebody who does a malach on Shabbos. And here, we're going to pick this up with a tshuva of the marshag. The marshag is of Shimon Greenfield, was one of the, uh, the great uh, postkin. I think he was a Talmud of the Maram Shik, so the Chassam Sofer, the Maram Shik, and then the Marshag. I think that's the uh, the Shalshalis, that's the uh, the sequence. But the Marshag was one of the uh, the great poskim. I happen to uh, the, the, those who read Shuvas Farm, so you know that sometimes the, a, a writer's style is something which resonates with you and you find easy to read. And there are some people who write that you just may struggle to be able to read and understand what they uh, what they what they mean. But the Marshag, for some reason, I uh, I, I enjoy reading the Marshag's Shuvas very much. So get a load of this, this Shiloh that, that was presented to the Marshag. So remember, back in the day, before uh, 20th century, the middle of the 20th century, so what was common in European towns is there was only one, uh, one oven, and it was a communal oven. And what would happen is, is that whoever owned that oven, so he would charge people to be able to use it. And Erev Shabbos, people would come, and they would drop off their pot of cholent, and then it would be put into the oven by the proprietor, it would sit inside of the oven from Erev Shabbos all the way until Shabbos morning. And then people would come to pick up their cholt and then they would bring it back home to be able to enjoy on Shabbos day. So now what happened uh, one fateful day in some European town? So the Marshag says, As far as the question, There was a Jewish baker or the person who owned the oven. 
he got very busy on Erev Shabbos. It was Erev Shabbos in the middle of the winter. So there wasn't much time. He miscalculated and he ran out of time or he's ADHD and he uh, can't uh, manage his time very well. But he ran out of time and he didn't get any of the cholins into the oven before Shabbos. But this is his business. He doesn't want to go ahead and have to face everybody Shabbos morning and tell everybody, I'm so sorry, but you have no cholent this Shabbos. So what did he do? So on Shabbos, he put the cholents into the oven in violation of halacha, but he did it to save face. So it turns out since all of these cholents went into the oven on Shabbos, so it turns out that a Jew went ahead and cooked the entire town's cholent on Shabbos. Okay, now that's a big... That's potentially a huge problem. Now, one question is, are we allowed to eat the cholent? But that wasn't the question which was being posed to the marshag over here. They wanted to know about the pot, the cholent pot. Because if you look in the Magen of Ram, not the one we saw, the next Magen of Ram, so he expresses uncertainty. That if somebody, if, if you cook for me, so I'm not allowed to benefit the same way you're not allowed to benefit. When we say other people are allowed to benefit, that's, that's when the cook did not have that person in mind altogether. But if you cooked specifically for me, it may be also for me to benefit as well. And the, uh, we know from the Magen of Ram, which we did see, that if you cook on Shabbos, the Magen of Ram says the pot has to be kosher. So therefore, the, the question posed to the Marshag is that if I cook for myself, I have to kosher, and the Magen of Ram says maybe, if I cook for you, it's just as usher for you as it is for me. So maybe in this case where the person put all of the cholents into the oven on Shabbos, and he did the malacha for those other people, so maybe it's as if they did the malacha themselves in the sense that maybe all of these, all of these pots now have to be kosher. So you have an entire town now, which is going to run into a problem. One question is, are they allowed to eat the cholent? And then the, uh, the, the next question is going to be, not only are they allowed to eat the cholent, but are they going to have to go ahead and cash all of the pots? So therefore, all of the Balabatim in town who brought their cholent to this fella to put it into the oven before Shabbos, and he did not get around for whatever reason to putting it in before Shabbos, and he put everything into the oven on Shabbos. So it may very well be that these pots are going to be asr forever until they're kosher. So this was now the question which is posed to the marshag to go ahead and decide what's going to be the story with these pots. Do they need koshering or not? Okay. So now the Marshag approaches this from a different perspective, different than we had seen until now. But he says as follows. He says, He says, in my opinion, it seems clear and very uh, obvious. That these pots are going to be permitted after Shabbos without any hesitation whatsoever. And the food is also going to be permitted. You can't have, they, you won't be able to eat the cholent on Shabbos because malacha was done to cook the cholent on Shabbos. So you can't benefit from that malacha on Shabbos, but you can have, for malacha malka, you can have that cholent. Why? Based on the reasoning which the person who posed the question himself raised, because this fellow who put the cholent into the oven on Shabbos, he did so without the consent 
without the approval of all of those people who own the pots. The owner of the, the owners of their, their, their respective cholans, none of them gave permission, none of them wanted, and none of them approved of this cholent being put into the oven on Shabbos. And therefore, and in such a, a circumstance where this person did it against the wishes of everybody, so there's no way we're going to treat them, we're going to penalize them as if it was done for them. Now here comes the key. Because we have an important halachic principle, which is the ain adam osa davrash ain shalo. I'm even going to underline that. Because in many circumstances, I cannot assert something which does not belong to me. For example, if I go ahead and I decide, I go up to, I, I see that uh, you drive up. Mel drives up, for example, to, uh, to Shul in his new Tesla doesn't have one, but let's say he gets himself a Tesla and he goes out and I'm jealous of the fact that Mel is driving around now with a Tesla and my jealousy is burning inside of me so strongly that I say, you know what? I don't want Mel driving that Tesla anymore. And I go ahead and I bow down and I worship his Tesla. So I make it into an Avodah So if I go ahead and I worship Mel's uh, Tesla as an Avodah as some sort of deity, so does that Tesla become Asr as an Avodah The answer is no. I can't go up to Mel's stuff and go ahead and worship it and make it into something which is Avodah Zarah. This is the principle, you can't ask for something which is not yours. And that is, says the Marshag, that's exactly what happened over here. So if this fella, the baker in town, who went ahead and put the cholent into the oven without my consent and without my approval, he can't do something to my stuff, to my pot, and make it us around me that I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to use my pot anymore. This falls under the rubric of that you're not allowed to prohibit something which is not your own, and that principle will apply over here because because you're not allowed to do that. And therefore, in this case, says the Marshag, since the one who did this cooking on Shabbos was not authorized to do this at all. So he cannot create a circumstance whereby he's answering everybody else's stuff that's outside of what the, he's capable of doing, that's outside of the, uh, the, the ramifications of the action which he did. And therefore, the Marshag says, no way, no how is this going to be true. So now we have a second reason over here why in the event that somebody in the household comes along and cooks on Shabbos, that there's going to be no need to go ahead and Kasha those pots and pans after Shabbos. And that is for this, based on this principle of meaning we as the, uh, as the parents, we certainly don't want this cooking to be taking place on Shabbos. They're not even necessarily cooking for us, but we certainly don't want the cooking to be taking place on Shabbos. If they, of their own volition, use our pots and pans to cook for themselves, so they cannot thereby create a circumstance where they've now answered my pot on me. That doesn't exist. Now, I know what many of you are thinking, which is, what are you talking about? If you cook basa b'chalav in my pot, so that would certainly require me to go ahead and kasha the, uh, the pots and pans. So you're absolutely correct. So this topic of the, the extent to which the, uh, we would apply that principle, that I can't answer something, I can't prohibit your thing on you, um, when we do apply that principle and when we don't, 
So for those who are familiar with uh, with Sfarim, so the Encyclopedia Talmudis has about three or four pages where they go through with about 150 footnotes or 175 footnotes with all of the different scenarios and all of the different cases when we do apply that rule, when we don't apply that rule. But the Marshad says, for sure over here, the rule applies. And therefore, if somebody uses your pots, your pots and pans on Shabbos without your permission, even though you're not obligated to tackle them, you're not. Uh, you're not. You're, we, we wouldn't tell you to stop them from doing that for the uh, for in, in a kesher nafshi approach. But we certainly aren't happy that the cooking is taking place on Shabbos, and therefore, even in the worst case scenario, they don't have the ability to go ahead and do a malacha with our stuff, which is thereby going to make our stuff us or on us. So that's the second reason now why, in the event that the cooking took place on Shabbos, there, there's no need to go ahead and kasha those pots and pans after Shabbos. Now, once we know that there's these two approaches, so again, there's the Shulchan Acharav's approach who says, since the prohibition against the food and by extension, the need to kasha the, uh, the pots and pans is a penalty. The penalty only applies to the one who violated the halacha. It doesn't apply to anybody else. And then we have the second reason now, of the Marshag, who says that that this that uh, when somebody uses when Ruven uses Shimon's pots, so Ruven, even though Ruven did something which is absolutely usher on Shabbos, Ruven can't do something on Shabbos to Shimon's pots and thereby make them usher to Shimon. So that's another reason why it's not going to be necessary to uh, to uh, kasha those pots. And then once we're on this topic in the, uh, the couple of minutes which we have left. So we have over here from the Piskei Tshuvas. Now this is coming from many different farm, but just to give an illustration again for the uh, for some of the Keshe folk. So you may run into some of these similar types of things. Remember, we said at the outset that this uh, penalty against benefiting from the Malach, which was done on Shabbos, is not limited um, is not limited to cooking on Shabbos, but really applies to any malacha which was done on Shabbos. So here in the Piskei Tshuva, so he elaborates on this. And he says, This is going to be true. The same principle is going to apply to other things around the house. Let's say you left the light on. You left the light on in the bathroom because you want to be able to use the bathroom on Shabbos. Somebody came along, a kip came along, turned off the light in the bathroom, and then realized that it's going to be a huge imposition for you that the lights are out, so he turned it back on. So turning on the light is us uh, on Shabbos. If the light had been off at the outset of Shabbos, and somebody turns on the light on Shabbos in the bathroom, and now you're able to use the bathroom, and beforehand you're not allowed to, you can't use that bathroom on Shabbos, because that's benefiting from the malach which was done. But over here, where you left the light on, somebody else came along then turned it off and then they turned it back on, they can't ask that light on you because they're using your stuff without your permission. And since had they not messed things up in the first place anyways, you would have been able to use it. So that remains permitted. You're allowed to use that bathroom, even though the light has now been turned on on Shabbos. Or let's say there was a room where there was just a night light on so there was a small amount of light in the room, but it was enough light that you're able to, uh, to manage, you're able to uh, maneuver around the room. And then somebody comes along and turns on the big light. So now there's much more light in the room and you could use the, 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 uh, the room much more. So here also, they can't ask you from going into that room because they turned on the ceiling light, provided that there was some minimal light in there in that room anyways that you could have used. So being that, we don't want them to, they don't have the ability to ask 
something on you, your stuff, your room. So that also is outside of the, uh, their, their purview and they cannot do so. And just because they now turned on the light, that doesn't force you, that doesn't obligate you to now leave the room in order to not benefit from that, the new light, the additional light which they turned on, because they can't answer davar sheina shalom, they can't answer something which is not their own. And let's say I had something in my living room. Somebody takes the object from my living room. They take it outside of the house, assuming that there's no uh, there's no a roof over there, uh, that uh, the, or the a roof is in, in disrepair. So they went ahead and they uh, they brought it outside. So now and then they bring it back inside. So by bringing it back inside, a malacha was done with it. Maybe you're not allowed to benefit from that object now that it's inside because it was done biser. But still, there also we apply the rule, you took it out, you brought it back in, you can't answer my thing without my authority, and that's also going to be permitted. Because as long as the malacha done with my object was done without my consent, without my authorization, without my permission, so we will not answer, somebody else cannot answer my thing by what they do with it. That's not that they don't have the, the, the capacity to do so. The only person who's going to be usher to benefit from the malacha which was done is the one who did the malacha himself. But it's not going to extend to those people, the owner of the object, <coughs> or to anybody else, because either it's not their stuff and you didn't have the right to answer my stuff on me, it's my thing and not yours and you can't answer it, or because the penalty is only directed towards the person who did the Aveira, who violated Shabbos, and that penalty doesn't extend to anybody else whatsoever. So for both of these two reasons, so that's why the uh, the conclusion that we reached um, last week before Shabbos was, and this is, again, it's a very important principle to know, that in the event that one of the kids goes out and cooks on Shabbos with your pots and pans, so there's no need to, despite what it says in the Mishabura, but the Mishabura is addressing the person himself using his own pots and pans. But when we're talking about the one cooked with his own pots and pans, whether other people have to kosher it, or whether the person cooking used somebody else's pots and pans, in either one of those two scenarios, it's going to be permitted. And that really is going to be the case. And the, when they're cooking in our kitchen, if they're using our pots and pans, and therefore koshering it after Shabbos would not, uh, is not, uh, is not, mandate, is not required at all. All right. That is what we have for uh, for tonight. So I want to, uh, if, if there are any questions, we could do quickly for a couple of uh, minutes. Otherwise, we will call it. And uh, we'll, uh, those of us here in the uh, Central Standard Time, we're going to go Davin uh, Minchamar.